At the end of the day, it's the cannabis operator that is ultimately licensed. Now, the real estate needs to be compliant with regards to whatever the local requirements are, but at the end of the day, it's your tenant that's going to be licensed. So you may tie up a great piece of real estate in a great market for cannabis, but if you don't vet your tenants properly and you bring in some guys that aren't experienced or aren't, you know, they don't have a good pathway to licensing or they have poor consultants or whatever, then they ultimately may not get it. And now you've tied up a piece of dirt that, or a property that you may not realize that income. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another live edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast. We're here at the Intelligent Real Estate Investing Conference here in Marina Del Rey in sunny California. And today I have with me Nate. Nate, how are you, mate? Welcome to the show. Um, Do you want to tell a little bit about what you do and who you are and how you got involved in the cannabis industry? Sure, yeah. Um, Appreciate you having me. So I'm basically a commercial real estate mortgage broker. Okay. I do debt and equity placement across all property types, all pieces of the capital stack, really nationwide. Um, but I've financed uh, several cannabis real estate deals now, primarily uh, loans for either cannabis operators that own real estate or for real estate investors that are acquiring assets to lease to cannabis tenants. Okay. So. Do you want to like maybe walk through the history of the cannabis in the United States? How has sure. it changed? Because it's obviously changed quite significantly. Right, right. And maybe you want to just give a history lesson for those people out there listening in about what happened and why all of a sudden just sure. green rush has come, right. come to the United States. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, cannabis obviously has a long and sordid history in the U.S. Um, that goes pretty far back and we don't have to get into all the details of you know, how it became illegal and all that. But what's really important for this audience is what's happening now, which is uh, the majority, majority of states, I believe uh, over 50% of the states in the U.S., I think something like 29 or maybe more, have some form of legalized cannabis, whether that's uh, medical cannabis uh, 
or even recreational now. I think six or eight states maybe have uh, recreational cannabis, and California, of course, is one of them. And in California specifically, a couple years ago, they pro- passed uh, Prop 64, which was the, the state bill that were the, the, ref- the proposition that ended up making recreational cannabis legal. And now there's a, a pretty significant opportunity to for real estate investors to go acquire assets that are going to be occupied by cannabis tenants because you can command a premium because it's still federally illegal. Got it. So what it, talk to me about some of the risks involved with you know, how this came about you know, and how that some of the, the current administrations talking about that could potentially take it away. Right. right? Yeah, so, so the big risk around cannabis is the fact that it's still federally illegal. And as a, you know, depending on how you're operating the business, there's a variety of risk. I mean, everything from federal you know, criminal consequences around that. But for a real estate investor, really, because you don't you don't touch the plant, you're really just a, a real estate investor that's buying a property and leasing it to a tenant. The tenant just happens to be uh, an operation that is technically federally illegal, even if it's uh, legally licensed and allowed at, at the state level. So what that means is your primary risk is going to be federal asset forfeiture. Now. Uh, I don't believe that recently there's been any successful forfeitures. I'm not certainly would say I'm an expert on that, um, but my understanding is that uh, you know Obama kind of created a policy of the federal government basically backing off. Um, there was a, a memo that they created called the Cole Memo, which basically said that you know uh, they were not going to the federal government was not going to pursue any enforcement action against medically licensed cannabis operations. Uh, in states that have a robust regu- you know, uh, cannabis regulatory environment. Now, uh, Jeff Sessions, about a year ago, rescinded the Cole Memo, and that caused kind of a stir in the, in the investment space around cannabis. We actually uh, were attempting to acquire some, some assets to release cannabis operators at that time, and we had some investors pull out as a result of that. But in addition to the Cole Memo, which again now is, is not affecting more, there's another federal protection which is uh, there's a, a annual budget writer called Borbart Far that basically limits the federal government's ability to spend money uh, out of the federal budget prosecuting again, medically licensed uh, cannabis operations in states that have a, a robust market. Now, Warbarker, who's a congressman from Southern California, I believe he was defeated just, yes. just this week yes. in his midterms. So how that's going to affect that, I, I frankly really don't know. Um, but, 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 but historically, there's always been medical marijuana, right, in, in, right. In, uh, for, for helping with uh, schizophrenia or mental uh, health issues or pain management. Yeah, cancer was pri- the primary one. Right, but the big change recently has just been more for the recreational use, right? Right. And was it Denver who, or Denver or Washington were the Colorado, first? Colorado, I think, was first. First, yeah. And yep. then Washington was a pretty close second, and I believe Oregon as well, and then obviously California with right. Prop and, and just to be clear to everyone out there that you are helping with the real estate transaction side, not necessarily the business of running right. grow, grow crops yes. or something like that. No, no, no. So everything I do is on the real estate. I mean, so I'm a commercial real estate mortgage broker. I do all property types. This I just happen to uh, have financed some real estate loans on properties going to be utilized by cannabis. In some cases, it was um, you know for investors that had acquired cannabis assets or assets that were released to cannabis operators. And then I've also I've closed a loan for one of the largest operators, and I won't name them, but one of the biggest operators in the state of California. Okay. So as a real estate owner myself, how would I be not protected or protected? You know, we, talk, we spoke a little bit about it's sort of like owning a retail shop, and right. you could have McDonald's in there, you could have a Bunnings Warehouse or a Home Depot, right. but how do you 
no, not get as the owner of the real estate sort of dragged into any sort of legal mumbo jumbo if uh, someone was sued because they're an operator of, of marijuana, you know, yeah, well I mean, operation. That's that's frankly probably more of a lawyer question. <laughs> so, sure, 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 which I'm definitely yeah, not. Yeah. Um, but, but is there any like are there any risks out there that Trump may take it away? Like I guess there's always risks, right? Yeah, I mean here, here's the thing: we really don't know, right? right now, I'm and there's a lot of different opinions around that. Everyone in the industry kind of you know expects that it'll be federally scheduled, and, right, and right. The, the people usually say three to five years, which to me is kind of a BS answer because it's just a safe <laughs> one because uh, it's far enough out that you know it's unpredictable and right. it's still kind of near term. I'm personally the mindset that federal deschedulization is going to come a lot quicker than people expect. Okay. For a variety of reasons. Um, one, you know, I think there was a poll a year or so ago that over 90% of Americans support medical cannabis, and I think close to 70% support recreational. And on top of that, obviously, there's a huge business opportunity around that. And yep. Trump, of course, is a businessman at heart. Right, right, right. Um, and now Canada, just what, a week ago, federally um, legalized cannabis at the recreational level across their entire country. And we're starting, we're seeing a ton of investment going on there, deals that are happening. And you know, Canada has a population, I think, of something like 36 million people. And here we have, what, 320 million or 330 right. million. Right. So the size of our market is, is an order of magnitude larger. Yeah, like, so and one, one thing that's really key to understand about cannabis is it is an incredibly unique business opportunity because of the fact that it's already an existing market. Right. Demand is there. You know, right, right, right. right. We don't have a lot of transparency into that because it's been a legal market, but people are consuming cannabis all over the country. The market's there. All we're doing is taking what technically is a legal market or has historically been and creating a legal market. Right. So in building out all that supply chain infrastructure that needs to support that market, and that's where the real estate really comes into play. Got it. So from a lending point of view, if I'm going to go look at a piece of dirt to put a, an operator in there who's, who's cannabis uh, operator, what am I sort of looking at from a leverage point of view? right now. What are you yeah. seeing in the market? So that's a really good question and, and I'll kind of give you a long answer. Yeah, which sure. Is, because cannabis is federally legal, you cannot go to a conventional lender to finance your real estate uh, because a federally chartered bank is not going to do that deal. Interesting. And so as a result of that, uh, on the real estate side, you're really your options are uh, unleveraged private money funds and family offices that are lending off their own balance sheet. And that's basically it. And so as a result of that, you know, you're... Right now, I think I have close to 45 lenders uh, on my list that are cannabis friendly, you know, private money funds and family offices. And the overwhelming majority of them are underwriting the same way, which is they're, they're looking at the non-cannabis value of that asset relative to that market, yep. and they're gonna lend you something like 50 to 70% of that. So for example, I closed a loan two weeks ago in San Francisco. Uh, it's a retail property that's being converted to a cannabis usage and um, you know, very, very strong sponsors, backed by a fund out of, out of the East Coast, um, great info location, really solid piece of real estate. They're acquiring on a non-cannabis basis, which is the smart way to do this. And they had an executed lease in hand at close with a major operator in Northern California. So all the pieces are kind of put together on the deal. And we did that loan with a, a family office, lent off their own balance sheet, and that came in at uh, about 9% and a couple of points to the lender. Okay, so just to summarize, You've got private lenders, high net worth individuals, because the banks are federally um, yeah, regulated. Federal, a federally chartered bank federally, federally chartered is bank. not going to risk their charter to do a can seal. Right. That said, there is a federally chartered bank in Southern California that I have a very good relationship with that is looking at a, a sizable loan for me across a portfolio of industrial properties that are leased to cannabis assets that are owned by a very, very high net worth sponsor that would provide a personal guarantee for the loan. We haven't closed on that. 
that they're looking at. Okay, interesting. So you're slowly seeing the shift happen, right? So it's um, just to summarize what I was just saying before is that you've got high net worth individuals providing the debt option for someone who is looking to start a, 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 a marijuana. Well, it's all, it's all in the real estate. All in the real estate, right, right. 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 So they're, they're underwriting it as if, well, hang on, this marijuana operator may go bust and I might have to bring in a CVS or someone else. Right. And they're underwriting, so they've got a downside protection to, to, to their, right. their investment. For the but, most part, but here's the thing, it's all the, the reversionary value of that asset on a non-cannabis basis is relative to that market. Right. Retail and infill San Francisco, there's a million things you can do with that. Right. Things right. worth a lot, right? Uh, I closed a loan on a property in um, uh, Desert Hot Springs out here in Southern California, which is kind of a cannabis hotspot. Because um, after Prop 64 passed, they, you know, the city was very quick to uh, allow licensing for cannabis uses. Now that's that's a a deal in that location is a different animal because that market does not have a deep, robust industrial market. So you take the cannabis usage away. I mean, you know, whether the developer agrees with me or not, you don't have a lot of stuff you can do with that right. product. Right. So, so they're really hedging their fact on that. Cannabis is here to stay, and right. nothing's going to. It's not going to go away because if, if that falls over, which there's a risk, it may may do. You yes. know, like no, anything, no one expects the, this industry to go away or the, the feds to try and shut everything down tomorrow. But it could happen, right? And that's why cannabis real estate owners can command a, a premium on the rent, usually something like two to three x with the, the wow. standard market rents. Two to three times. Two to three wow. x. Yeah, if you're doing a cannabis real estate deal right as an investor, you should be getting two to three X market rents effectively, and you should be hitting an unleveraged yield on cost on that asset of something like 10 to 12%. Okay. So as a result of that, if you go get 60% leverage at 10%, you know, your debt basis or your, 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 your cost basis around the debt, given that unleveraged return is very minimal. Sure, sure. What advice do you have to people out there looking at a potential plot of land to understand the viability of having a cannabis tenant? In different, given different sub-markets around the country? Yeah, that's a really good question, and the answer is it depends on the local market and the licensing requirements around okay. it. Okay. What are you and looking for, to, typically? Well, well, it just depends because, specifically in California, um, each city, to get it, you have to get a state license and a local license, and the local license would come from your local municipality or county, wherever you're, you know, the authority having jurisdiction is. And in California, to get the state license, you have to get a local license. And each city has to pass their own licensing ordinance that establishes their licensing requirements and taxation and regulatory framework. And so as a result of that, the answer your question is, depends. Depends if you're in LA, which has a, an ordinance that um, has some issues with it, um, that make the, the licensing process here uh, somewhat cumbersome. Sure. Um, versus Desert Hot Springs, where you kind of show up, you got a piece of dirt, you're in the green zone, and it's like, high five, here's a license. Got it. So it really just depends. So, so your answer is more the fact that if you're gonna, if someone out there is listen, listening to this and going, I, I want to go and start my own thing, really get knowledgeable on the local municipality and if they've even really? will, allow it. Yep. And you may have to change your sub-market if it doesn't allow that particular uh, operation Absolutely. to exist. And at the end of the day, it's the cannabis operator that is ultimately licensed. Now, the real estate needs to be compliant with regards to whatever the local requirements are. Right. But at the end of the day, it's your tenant that's going to be licensed. So you may tie up a great piece of real estate in a great market for cannabis, but if you don't vet your tenants properly and you bring in some guys that aren't experienced or aren't, you know, they don't have a good pathway to licensing or they have poor consultants or whatever, then they ultimately may not get it. Mm-hmm. And now you've tied up a piece of dirt that, or a property that you may not realize that income. Sure, sure. Any different municipalities, you can sometimes have limitations on the quantity of licenses. So again, if you don't, vetting that tenant is hugely important because if they, if they are not uh, capable of executing on getting the license in timely fashion, that piece of real estate may never be able to get licensed. And now all that additional value that you would have gotten from the cannabis usage goes away. Right. Uh, so 
in summary, what do you think the, the future holds for, 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 for the cannabis industry, the lending industry, and just federally? Let's just, maybe let's take the federal off, off, the, off the table, but where's everything well, headed the, to? The federal's important because as every other state, here's what's going on is you have the more progressive states that legalize cannabis first. They're realizing a ton of money from tax revenue that it produces. So conservative states start seeing that and we're starting to see you know uh, more and more of them kind of shift over. They're going to continue to do so because they're missing out on all the taxes that are right next door. Denver's raking it in, right? It's huge, man. Yeah. And you think about California specifically, although we're looking at deals nationally, but just the market here in California, we have 39 and a half million people. That's a huge market, right? So that alone is going to push legalization to to eventually cover the whole country. But what's really uh, unique to understand is that until it's federally legal, Your primary source of capital on the debt side is going to be private money lenders for all the reasons we discussed. Right. What's really interesting to think about is, let's say I amass a portfolio of cannabis assets during that time period, and even if it takes five years for the feds to deschedule it, great. The day it's federally descheduled and legalized, now I can go to conventional real estate lenders at a conventional debt, you know, cost of right. debt, at whatever that is at that time. Five, 6% rather than, I'm sure it's quite high right now, you're saying 9, 10% or yeah. more. I yeah. mean, it's, it's going to range, the lowest rate I think I've ever seen is 8.5% for a super good sponsor, and you know, the highest is going to be 13 or 14. So hard right. money rates, Effectively, yeah, the one in Desert Hot Springs, which was with a very, very strong operator, but because of that location and the, the poor non cannabis value, yeah. that was, you know, pretty far north of 10%. Got it. So once we can use conventional, or once we can access conventional financing for cannabis, it changes the game. Yep. Now you got a great portfolio of assets that have seasoned cash flow with ideally good sponsors and operators in there that you can go put cheap debt on and you, know, you might double your cash flow. Right, right, right. So number one piece of advice for someone looking to get started in this in this game, come speak with you obviously, but what else would you, what other advice would you have for them? Know your local market. Okay. If you want to get into cannabis space, you really need to understand the regs for that specific location. Again, it varies by municipality, at least in California. Other states might be a little different. Mate, people want to reach out to you to see to understand what you do and be in your sphere a little bit more because I know it's a very niche market. Uh, you are dealing with institutional investors, is that correct? Uh, well, again, yeah, I do all types of commercial real estate, not just cannabis. So, I mean, every every. You know, but you've got a name for yourself as, as, as the cannabis yeah, lending for, guy. Yeah, for better or worse, <laughs> I'm becoming the cannabis real estate debt guy. Hey, man, so. niche till it hurts, right? Yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> so, where can people reach you? Yeah, so um, my company's called En Capital, and my website is encapitalllc.com. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to find. Awesome, awesome man. Yeah. Well, uh, absolute pleasure coming yeah. on the show. Uh, I'm really excited to look see where this space goes because I think it's a huge growth market. And just on the operational side, which we didn't really talk a little bit about, but just the, the sort of the headaches that with, with starting an operating business with no banks that will take the cash and it's all it's very cash intensive. Right. But uh, I'm really interested to see where this space goes uh, from a real estate in- investing point right. of view and to see where that NOI. Well, the, the thing to keep in mind is this market is already existing. Yep. As it gets legalized, that legal and license and tax. Supply chain infrastructure needs to be, get built out, and that means real estate. Right. right. What do you? One last thing. When do you think? It, when it will, will the Fed flip? Do you think? Oh, I, think I think it happened in the next twelve months, if not sooner. Really? You're under this administration? Yep. Oh wow. Interesting. That's that's very very interesting. So heard it here first. And I think this administration, the the, the national, uh, the federal government will change their stance on marijuana. But um, mate, again, thank you so much for dropping by, for and we'll uh, we'll do it all again next week, guys. So remember to subscribe, hit like, and uh, take care. Be safe. Remember, happy investing.